0: Christopher Nolan's first film is a low-budget black and white indie about a drifter who trains with an experienced thief to break into people's homes. There's much to foreshadow in Nolan's career as we discuss following. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. Everyone has a box. This is a movie podcast. We get together and we work through movie franchises or we go through maybe a director or actors, you know, season of movies. And in this case, we are kicking off our Christopher Nolan season because, of course, he has Oppenheimer coming out very Mm. soon. So we'll make that part of the whole thing. So that should be good fun. And we're going to be doing all of his non-science fiction and non-Batman movies. Uh, Which
1: surprisingly limits it down a lot.
0: Not that much. It's half of his movies. There's still six left, though, including fair, the new one. Fair. True. Uh, but yes, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, we're going to kick off with his very first film, his less lesser-known film um, mm-hmm. from 1998, before he even did Memento which is obviously coming next we'll pretty much be going in order of their release with the exception of Oppenheimer which is going to be when it comes out which is in the middle of the whole thing Um, yeah. so we've got that going as well uh, I also mentioned that it's going to be kind of split in two there's going to be a little couple of weeks off in the middle because we've got a new animated Turtles film <laughs> to do yeah. so Nolan season splitting to two halves uh but they're not too far apart just a couple of weeks in the, in between but uh, we're starting off with Following, which is a film that was released in 1998, it's very low budget, I mean, I don't think it's, like, a student film, but I think he was just out of film school, or something like that, it's very yeah, early I, on.
1: I remember reading some trivia that he basically filmed a couple scenes at his school, whether yeah. or not he was still there was unclear, but he no, went back.
0: I I listened to some of the interviews and stuff on the Criterion Blu-ray back in the day, oh, no. and, uh, okay. I've got a couple of tidbits, I think, from that, from what I remember, but, um... Yeah, so it's it's very low-key, it's very small. I think what's impressive, though, is you can actually recognize some of Nolan's sensibilities, even mm. in this film. You can see those ideas and types of storytelling he was gravitating towards, even at this stage in his career, before he'd go on to do his more famous movies. So right. well, we're going to talk about all that, of course. Uh, we'll start spoiler-free, as we always do. we we'll give you a warning before we get the spoilers. Uh, the basic gist of following, and I'll keep this very light in terms of a description... I'll just say Mm -hmm. that it follows a main character whose name is Bill and he starts following people just because he's bored. He starts just following people because he gets a thrill out of chasing people without them realising. Not because there's a purpose, not because he wants to attack them or anything like that. He's just following people. But obviously he follows someone who notices at some point and that leads him down a path, which is where the movie uh, goes plot-wise. So uh that is the basics it is black and white it is four by three which even for 1998 like I, I don't know if this was a creative choice or if this was just what was easy to get a hold of given this point in his career yeah i'm not sure i mean
1: uh he obviously shot it on actual film so that would have been 16 millimeter i believe but i don't know if I I feel like that has to come in widescreen standard, like oh, just normal film.
0: Actually, no. I remember that he chose black and white. There's a reason why he chose black and white that I'm remembering. Re- I figured that he would have chosen
1: black and white because that I've, clearly we were past the point of technicolor. I was more so talking about the aspect ratio. I can't I can't imagine there be a world where he would purposely choose
0: standard ratio. Um Uh, yeah maybe it's just a case of like if he was using equipment that he was borrowing from his film school maybe that's just what was there that's what he could get for for the extended because you know movies take a while to shoot and he was Mm -hmm. he's quite ambitious quite ambitious you know he's shooting a feature-length film it's a short feature-length film it's only 70 minutes but if you're just at a film school that's quite a heavy thing to take on when you're with a skeleton crew and only you know x number of locations x number of actors all these things no, actually, I remember him talking about this because there was yeah the, the things I wanted to bring up that I remember him talking about this film. There was two technical things. Now, the one that I remembered uh, already was an audio thing, but yeah. I just it just popped out of my head as you were talking about the decision uh, for black and white. There is the reason why it was shot in black and white is because it you can light for black and white in theory quicker because ah. you don't have to worry about certain things and because he knew. They were going to be doing a lot of natural lighting and they were going to be doing a lot of things. It was basically just to speed up the setup process to a certain mm. degree because they could get away with not worrying about certain things in the scene if we, if we weren't seeing the colour. Um, I that recall him saying that. Uh, so that's an interesting little thing. The other thing that was, um, I think it's really sly, and this is actually a little ironic given the complaints that everyone had about his newer films, um, but... There was a a really interesting tidbit about the the sound recording for this movie, uh, which is that the sound's not great in general. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff just shot on location. Uh, They don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have, like, fancy... Like, this is the thing. Unlike other, like, low-budget movies that have really bad sound, like, he clearly knew what the restraints were and worked around them so that you wouldn't notice it too much, right? He's clearly a, a smart filmmaker and worked around what he could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that he, I remember him saying in one of the interviews is that the very first thing you hear in the movie uh, in terms of dialogue is part of this like sort of police interrogation style scene, right? And mm-hmm. the reason why that's first is because that was one of the few scenes that you'd sort of brought up already that they shot in like a soundstage at the, the film school. Right. And the reason why that's first is because, because it's in a soundstage it naturally has the best audio recording quality of any of the dialogue in the whole movie. Mm. And the logic was, is that you start with that good quality so that by the time it shifts to slightly lesser quality audio, it doesn't matter to the audience as much because you're already invested in the story and it won't be harder to get into.
1: Trixie, tricksy, but I like it.
0: Yeah, it's just really simple, but he's kind of right. Like if you hear... Not even... Because I wouldn't even say the audio quality for the rest of it's bad. It's just... You can tell that they didn't have the opportunity to, like, go in and, like, sound mix everything and ADR everything that they would have wanted to, stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there was certain points in this movie where, like, they are going down streets and they are in public places, but I don't think even a single one of those scenes had the scene's audio. Those scenes were always dubbed over. Yeah. It was only once we were, like, inside of houses or in other secluded places
0: You, you that they have got... be the like uh like general crowd noise but that's something that'd be Mm. easy to like put in right there was never dialogue in scenes like that right Uh, so there was never
1: the risk of that scene where they're walking down the street and then a car horn goes just to
0: mess with them yeah again that's working around the the limitations they know they have so absolutely i guess that's that's
1: an interesting thing looking at later nolan films especially like the sci-fi things is that He gets to a certain point where he has these huge grand ideas, like the cornfields in Interstellar or the plane from Tenet. And it's just, he still finds a way to do that same sort of thing of working within these restrictions, despite the fact that he probably could have spent as much money as he wanted to to make it just, you know, CGI,
0: more or less. Well, he doesn't like CGI, but like, the, the the classic thing that used to get brought up all the time is that he actually dropped a plane uh, mm-hmm. at the start of Dark Knight Rises. Like, they actually right. shot part of that physically. Uh, the new thing that, every, that, that... That's replaced now, though, because now the thing that everyone's going to say is that he actually set off a nuclear bomb <laughs> for yeah. Oppenheimer, which yeah, is the most ridiculous statement <laughs> that anyone could say. But apparently, on some level, he technically set off a nuclear bomb <laughs> for for Oppenheimer. So... Um, But
1: that's, that's one of the things where it's just like, now, okay, if I could go into space and go right next to a black hole, you know that he was running the numbers, seeing if it was feasible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the point is, is that he's someone who doesn't really have restrictions anymore. He can basically just do whatever he wants. Um, he makes his own restrictions and yeah. that's maybe one of his strengths as a filmmaker even at this like insane level he's at. like he's the he's probably the only filmmaker who's big enough to sell a movie on his name in this modern oh, age like yeah absolutely you know at least i mean obviously spielberg can maybe still do it to a point but like i don't think there's anyone else from nolan's generation i would say who has that same cred
1: i i think the only other person i could argue is tarantino
0: Oh, yeah, no, Tarantino absolutely is. I was kind of thinking of him as earlier, though. I guess. Yeah, that's fair. He's about a decade earlier, so I just kind of was thinking that way.
1: But no, I mean, like, even if you, like, when I was looking through some of Spielberg's films, like, there were some of them that surprised me that they were Spielberg. Like, I think of them as not Spielberg first. But for every one of Christopher Nolan's films, i recognize it as this is a christopher nolan film i mean his name
0: is a draw to it this is the only one that most average people won't have heard of is following every other Mm -hmm. one they'll probably and okay maybe insomnia maybe but like it's borderline right once you get to batman and you know beyond no pun intended (laughs) um like they're all household names everyone knows these movies which although i think it's really interesting to come and see this little low-budget movie that he did when he had no money because it it proves that the talent was there and the skills there which i guess leads us to the natural question after some of this trivia and some of this sort of uh setting the the stage you'd never seen this before so i'm very curious uh watching Mm. this film with what i can only describe as the english version of you as the main character um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm thinking because like <laughs> there was see when you first see him and he's got the longer hair and it, i was like "Ah, oh, it a little david-esque you know if he, if he slicked the hair back a bit it would look a bit uh-huh. you know, david-esque i'm just i'm thinking the later points in the movie where they outright call the character pathetic in those <laughs> ways that's not what i was getting at oh but, okay good <laughs> i was i was more i was i was more just thinking he's got a bit of a david look to him mm. early on okay gotcha right? that's all
1: i'll take it i I'll, I'll just saying, I'll accept it
0: i'm just saying if you really cut your hair to the short you know late 90s early 2000s spikes that he has for like mm-hmm. the back half of the well i'd say back half he's already played him with narrative structure so it's bouncing backwards and oh, forwards yeah, no. right this thing's
1: practically memento 1.0 <laughs> here um but no as to, to answer the question you never technically asked what did i think of the movie that's what i was getting at yes
0: Yes. See, um, we're really Nolan. We're doing it hard <laughs> So I'm going
1: to give it a rating first, and then we'll <laughs> get back to what we thought of it. Um, no. So even from just the word go in this movie, um, it sets up this tension to it. It's got this real, like, before you even know what's going on, you're still invested. Because first scene in this movie is him following these people. And you know how badly that can go and you know it will go badly at some point so it sets up this tension very early on and then from that point on it just keeps for the entire like next hour of the movie it just keeps this tension going where you're just enwrapped in the film and you want to see okay but like what happens next? how do we get to this point or what happens next so all in all in terms of my viewing experience, I was into it. I was i was super okay. I was great with it. Um, I did have moments in there where I was like, okay, this is feeling a little bit like student filmy. Like this is feeling a little bit like the sort of thing that I would have made in like <laughs> a first year of college sort of thing. Which sounds um, a
0: little bit like you're pat yourself on the back saying, no, Christopher no, only not. made something
1: like I would have made. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, it's on the negative side. And the fact that I recognize my, my limits there. Mm. Um, a lot of it for me was in the acting. Because sure, sure. two or three of these people went on to become like actual real actors. But a lot of them, this is their only credit. And there's a couple of them that are iffy for me. The only other critique I'd really give is cinematography. Um, I think it works for the movie itself, but there's some points where he's doing like an early version of shaky cam, but I don't think it's intentional. I think he's just trying to like handheld move the camera, but his hands just moving too much. And that took me out of a few scenes, but overall in general, I enjoyed it. I think it was a good ride beginning to end. It didn't overstay its welcome. It didn't feel like it did anything like that was just padding for the sake of getting it to a feature length. It, had seventy minutes, it used them to its full advantage. I liked
0: it. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's, I think it's interesting how you can recognize some of his sensibilities, particularly the narrative structure and how it plays with reveals through narrative structure are already mm-hmm. there, and that's something that immediately would be obviously be in Memento. You know, Memento's got yeah. such a strong gimmick, but then he'd play with it again because even you get to t- Tenet, and Tenet's playing with that as well, and it's more of a sci-fi yeah. setting, but it's it's playing with it and arguably even interstellar to a point it's not playing with i mean it's playing with structure but it's it's also playing with the passage of time for different Mm -hmm. people which is kind of also dipping into and i mean
1: when we get to prestige prestige is doing it as well like it's just a thing he does
0: oh yeah prestige has got the whole narrator someone's reading the story which which is Mm -hmm. with basically you realize at one point in prestige that someone's reading someone's diary and then in that diary they read that the other person already read their diary there's, there's a whole yeah. like layers to that as well he loves to play with those ideas and mm-hmm. this movie i think has that i actually do like how it looks i, I think it does feel very gritty and like you know low mm-hmm. budget because uh, it is it is those things um yeah but it's I think that adds to this eerie tone and the black and white helps with the tone as well. You talked about how it immediately is engrossing and it is, like it immediately just grabs you and you feel, Mm. I don't know if eerie is quite the right word, but there is like an, um, there's an almost an eerie quality to just how it feels. Like the way he's narrating over him following people in the streets, it just kind of feels like, okay, I feel like I'm in, I'm in our world because I recognize it. Although I never realized there was Dunkin' Donuts in the UK, I just want to point that out uh news to me uh yeah but uh you know he's he's following people throughout the streets and he's just sort of narrating over it and it's in black and white and there's a lot of like crowd moving in the foreground and stuff like that and there's obviously mm. a lot of guerrilla style filmmaking here where I'd you know he probably didn't have like permits to film on streets they were just doing oh, this yeah. i'm sure
1: I I will say, though, in terms of credits, I did notice that they credited two different legal departments, so it is possible that he got permission to do stuff. Either that, or he had to call his lawyer for when they caught him for not having permission to do
0: that. Um, I do wonder, though, if some of that was just some of the copyright stuff that was hanging up in walls uh, in the movie as well, because I I think that's uh, something that pops up, Uh, because notably there's a Bat logo at one point uh, on a door which i audibly laughed when that happened it's so Joe. this see if he had a bat logo in something now it would be groan inducing because he's already done but but given that at this time in his career he would have had no idea that he would make it to the point where he would get to direct batman movies so i
1: doubt he ever even considered it
0: a possibility so the idea that he's he's throwing that up at the door and, like, we look back at it now, it's quite endearing. It's like, holy mm. shit, he actually got to go make a Batman trilogy. And not even that long, really. Like, Batman Begins came out seven years after this did. Like,
1: Yeah, no, that's what got me the most, is with this being 1998, and then just how rapidly he, I mean, his next real film, he got Guy Pierce. He got, like, actual actors yeah. in there, yeah. And that's astounding to me, how quickly he climbed that ladder.
0: Yeah, he, he shot, like, into the stratosphere, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, probably this movie helped with getting work and convincing people, that like, hey, look, look oh, at yeah. what he did with nothing. And what what mm-hmm. can he do with a little something? And that's kind of what memento is. And, and then his movie after that, he's working with Al Pacino. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, he... It's, it's, like I said,
1: like, and then as soon as he's done with that, Batman.
0: Yeah, Batman. I've
1: never seen anyone move as quickly as that.
0: Here's the keys to the kingdom. Have at it. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's wild uh, how quickly he ascended, and Mm -hmm. and I think when you watch this, you can see a lot of that skill is already there. A lot of that playing with the way the information is revealed is already Mm -hmm. like ingrained into this, and there is such a strong tone. And I think for any faults you can have it and. I don't necessarily have the complaints with the cinematography that you did, but I will agree that some of the acting is, you know, clearly these aren't, like, professional actors necessarily. Even the main right. guy who has been on to have a lot of small roles and things, including some cameos and some known films, mm-hmm. like, I don't think he's great. I think he's just, he's okay. Like, he's fine enough yeah. for what the role is. It kind of adds to kind of the odd realism of it, even though it's kind of a heightened reality in some ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, and when I say I had a problem with the cinematography for the vast majority of the movie, I did not. It's only when the movie slows down and there's a romantic subplot in this movie that the camera is still moving in the same way that it moves when it's on the streets. And that's what I feel like that's where the only time it's out of place for me. It feels like he should have gotten a tripod or at the very least had his arm rested on something, but it still feels like he had the sort of moving back and forth. You keep saying going.
0: his arm. Did, is, is he credited as the... Uh...
1: I assume so. I mean, I can check on that real quick, but I, I remember reading that he was basically... He was, as much as I don't want to use the term, Tommy Wiseauing it. it. <laughs> oh, this is... He, he was doing everything no, no. behind the camera. He's
0: not Tommy wiseau it. If it. It's only Tommy wiseau if he also is in front of the camera. Come on, now.
1: That's fair enough. <laughs> I'll give you that. Uh Cinematography by Christopher Nolan. Yep.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Um. Fair enough. I mean, you're you're making a movie with no money. You, you, you can't afford a camera operator. I mean, yeah. that said though, he can, he can be doing the cinematography, and still not operating the camera. Like cinematographers don't necessarily operate the that's, cameras.
1: That's fair. But there is nobody here who is credited as camera, yeah. No, I, so. I
0: I say that acknowledging, but this might have had a crew of like three people. So he probably mm-hmm. was operating the camera. He had one person holding a boom mic. And maybe You're, you are shockingly close.
1: I'm looking here, it says they got one grip, one lighting technician, and then he his brother was just an extra grip.
0: Honestly, that's exactly the size of crew that I had when I was doing like shouldn't stuff, uh, yeah. doing a TV course. So, honestly, that's that's actually kind of wild that he, he was doing this movie with the exact same, I wouldn't say the same amount of resources, but certainly there's a similar amount of like manpower. <laughs> Oh is yeah. uh, stuff that I've made at uh which just again shows how good he is and how talented he already was at this point. Yep. Oh dear. Yeah, because one of the other things, um, you know, we're not into like spoilers or anything yet, but obviously at one point in this movie a hammer is used as a weapon. And I remember mm-hmm. hearing him talking about that, and that, again that was working around limitations. He's like well we're making this movie we have no money we have like we don't have access to like authentic props right we don't have access right. to guns especially in the uk you can't just go and buy a gun right um yeah. and it's like well that so the choice was well let's not have something that's obviously fake because it'll just take everyone out of it but we can have them holding a real hammer and it can be quite threatening like it's quite scary to see someone coming at you with a hammer so oh, yeah. you know that works even better you know? Yeah, no. He, he, like you said,
1: using his restrictions to the advantage. It's the, it's the same sort of thing that they had with, um, like Jaws and stuff like that. Where yeah, okay, we yeah. don't have access to this big thing we wanted, so we're going to keep it somehow be more menacing with what we do
0: have. Yeah, it's, it's a classic thing where some uh, Jaws is a great example of. Like, it ended up being better because they couldn't show it too much. Um, mm. I think. Well, everyone always seems to know this because they talk about alien and that's another example like when you just shot the the guy in the alien suit in full lighting it didn't look that good but right. you obscure them in shadows and you show only little glimpses of them and just close-ups and stuff all of a sudden it's a fantastic design so mm-hmm. for some reason like filmmakers are always like oh we want to show as much as possible but sometimes when they're forced not to it makes their movies better <laughs> oh yeah so for sure uh, i think yeah that's that's absolutely something here so um and i think uh yeah i think it's a neat little movie where mm-hmm. you know i i like this a, a lot more than you know lots of more expensive movies um no i'm not saying that i like it more than nolan's best films because I, I don't think it is better than those but i think it's a no. fascinating little thing um that said though i do like it more than a couple of them and uh maybe we'll reveal throughout that's fair our journey
1: over the next. I mean, it's month definitely better than Dark Knight. I, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um, uh, so the only one little thing I do want to throw in there, uh, just as a special notice, is the soundtrack, the score of this movie. Oh, I like it a lot. I love it. That, like I said when it when I said that it grabbed you right away from just the first scene, it's because of this soundtrack that has this sort of frantic ticking clock sort of like tone to it that makes you like pumped up it makes you feel like yeah. something is about to happen at all times without it, getting
0: old and then the melody there's a lot of sort of sad slow synth in there mm-hmm. uh which honestly i feel like he's kind of abandoned that but memento has i wouldn't say it's similar because i think Memento's actual orchestral but it's got a yeah. similar kind of vibe i remember you know from what i remember so I think clearly there was kind of a style there that he liked, at least for his first couple of films, although he seemed to... I, I guess it's because he got into bed with Hans Zimmer for a while. <laughs> and that, I was going to say. All of a although sudden, the, was... uh,
1: the um What's his name? The composer from this movie... Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, David Julian. Julien, uh, he was also composer on a bunch of other Nolan projects as well. He did um, Insomnia, Prestige, and... Oh, really? There's one more recent one here. Uh, bu, 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 having trouble finding it but there was like one of his most recent ones he also worked on as well so he's been around he's been a regular contributor with Nolan
0: That's interesting. Uh, Prestige, I mean I knew Hans Zimmer didn't do that but there mm-hmm. was like, a whale there where it felt like Hans Zimmer was doing all of his movies so that's interesting that I that feel one's like that may in.
1: have been a WB thing when he got onto Batman and he's like okay look you can do Batman but we're getting Hans Zimmer to do the music and he's but- like
0: I'm not gonna say no well maybe to begin with but like he didn't like he was definitely in a position where he didn't have to have zimmer for inception and for True. interstellar and you know these other movies clearly mm-hmm. he liked working with them um and only just with uh tenet did he decide or not dunkirk is where he decided to uh mm-hmm. to go elsewhere um yep. you know maybe just because at that point they'd worked together so much it's like okay let's, let's both go do different things now uh but yeah uh no I think uh, it's a smart little film. It's It's got a lot of tricks up its sleeve. And oh, yeah. it's very engrossing while you're watching it. Um, And if anything, the, the size and scope of it just makes it more, I don't know, more, more like intense in a, in a way. Well, that's the thing. This
1: whole movie, the themes of it deal with intimacy. It deals mm. with be, like seeing someone's private life in a way that they didn't intend you to do. And that's kind of what the movie itself gets to. Is that you're seeing this guy's life in a snapshot, and it sometimes feels like it gets so close to him, so like into moments that he would rather not cover, that it gets a, it gives you that same sort of voyeuristic ideal that the movie is built around.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll say spoilers then from from henceforth, sure. and we'll we'll dive into things. Uh, so you have been warned. Uh, so I do love that the, the f- first line of this movie is the main character saying, the following is an account of... <laughs> I was like, oh, you sly bastard. <laughs> you think you're funny. I just imagine he was on
1: like page 13 of the script. And then he's like, oh my God. And he went back to page one, typed <laughs> that in.
0: And he's like, I'm a genius. <laughs> oh yeah the actual first thing you see though during the opening titles uh is like all these items being put into a box which comes up later what this box is um Mm -hmm. but you see like you know this little seahorse like ornament thing go in you see like some money being put in um it's very unique items so that way when you see it again you know what it is yeah actually i was later on when there's a wads of cash like out of a safe because it's a low budget movie, I was kind of looking at it, saying, "Is it just the top of these stacks that have got real money, and then like underneath it's just <laughs> just paper, just crumpled paper?" Because yeah. they, they they don't have the resources; to have like stacks of twenty pound notes. Oh no, not at all. Well, well, don't be ridiculous that. Uh, but yeah, so you see that, and it becomes like thematically relevant later. But yeah, he we we so we know from the start that he is talking to a policeman. He is telling this story of the film to a to a policeman. And he's talking about following people, and he makes it clear that it's not a sexual thing. Because the, the, the cop, I think, says, uh, so you followed women. And he's like, well, not, not specifically, I followed lots of men. Like, it wasn't a sex thing. It was just purely about shadowing someone.
1: I just imagine in, like, a parody or something like that, or just a little gag cut, you just cut to the police officer on his notepad saying, definitely a sex thing. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you convince someone that that's not the case? Like, oh, no, I just did it because I was bored.
0: Uh true. It doesn't it makes it more interesting as a viewer though that it's not sexy. Oh thing. absolutely. Like because yeah. like, it clearly is, you know we see him watching this guy who ends up being like the prominent guy that he's following mm-hmm. uh that leads into the plot but um I think it's not entirely clear the first time it jumps in time like that that it has jumped in time. Well yeah. Well it's it's clear that it's jumped in time but it's not clear that we're going to be jumping backwards and forwards yet I don't think. But obviously, it's really smart because there's lots of visual indicators because there's basically three parts of the timeline that we jump around from. Mm-hmm. And there's the earlier part of the timeline where he first meets the, this guy Cobb that becomes like this prominent character. Um, Where our main character, Bill, who's credited as the young man, not as Bill, but he does have a name in the movie.
1: Well, I think it's supposed to be a thing where he may have given a
0: fake name to begin with because Maybe, when yeah. he says
1: Bill, it's like under duress more or less
0: yeah that's so. true yeah yeah but for lack of a, i'll just call him bill though for lack of oh, a yeah. better name <laughs> we'll go with bill um so what was i saying there uh, so there are three different time yeah. periods so yeah visual distinctions uh so whenever you see him in this early time where he's getting to know Cobb and Cobb kind of takes him as an apprentice into his life of crime um mm-hmm. he's got the longer hair he's got the leather jacket it's very easy to say we're here at this part of the timeline um, right. Then there's a part of the timeline where he's got his hair cut and he's wearing a suit and he's trying to look, effectively, he's trying to look more like Cobb, where he looks a bit more well kept. Yeah. And then there's a later part of the timeline where he's still got those the suit and the, the short hair, but he's also got a busted up face. He's got a black eye. He's got a bloody nose. He's clearly been yeah. in a fight of some kind. So it, it sets up these three different parts of the timeline. So as you start seeing them more and more, you get like a really solid footing of like, okay, I'm starting to see how these things are piecing together gradually as we go through the story
1: yeah so i guess i just want to ask you the first time you saw him go from you know slick back hair goatee all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. to the well-kept look did you immediately know that that was the same guy
0: see this is hard for me to answer because i saw this before and I don't remember mm-hmm. what I thought the first time I saw it. Because when I watched that's it this fair. time, I just knew it was him. So. Right.
1: So for me, I, it was a bit of an issue. Because we we go from seeing him. Like, we see him giving his account yeah. in the framing device of the police. uh, I want to say office, but that's not right. Department. That's the word. In the police department. And then we cut to him in basically the same look as him walking down the street. But for me, it was just... It ever so, like, he just looked so different enough that I didn't quite link the two in my head for another, like, two, three minutes until I was like, oh, wait, they're supposed to be the same guy. Got it.
0: Um, Maybe that's
1: just me. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention.
0: I'd have to go back and check the first time that he pops up, but I want to say that he starts narrating again, and it kind of makes it clear that this is still yeah. him, if that makes sense. But
1: Well, the, the movie does a good job of it because they introduce him looking at people, following people, mm. then they cut back to the police department, then they show him looking and following the blonde woman. And that's the first time we see him uh, in that sort of more dressy yeah, state. And so once it's clear that he's looking at the blonde woman and the narration is saying like, oh, and then I started following a specific person. That's where I made the link. But there was a good 30 to 45 seconds there where I was like, is this the same guy? I'm I'm unsure here.
0: I think that's I, a acceptable amount of time, though.
1: Oh, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. It's I, I'm not doubting it, but I just wonder, like, it, was it supposed to be? I guess my other thing going into it is I didn't know what the thing was going to be. Because I know Christopher Nolan, he always has that thing. He always has the, like, oh, I played a little Trixie on you. And I was already kind of betting, like, maybe this isn't the same guy. Maybe oh, that's right. the whole thing. Maybe this <laughs> is going to be a thing. Maybe we have a narrator that's just some rando from the end.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think if it takes a minute to make it clear to the audience that it's the same person, I think that's okay. I think it's it's probably mm. done with the intent of not everyone will get that this is him right away, and it'll you know yeah. takes a, a you know a scene of things happening to sort of make it clear that it is him. Um, but you know, like you say, you get it relatively quickly. The the movie makes it clear to you, so it's mm. it's fine. Um, you know, honestly, following. No, I, don't mean, I don't even mean that uh, we're gonna say that like, <laughs> many times but yeah I, I think going through the movie exactly in order is probably going to be a little tough like i think it's easy to remember all the events of the movie but remembering mm-hmm. the order that the movie showed it to us in is probably a little tougher
1: yeah this is going to be a problem we run into this time and in memento like how do we
0: recount <laughs> the movie memento will be easy what are you talking about
1: but which way are we gonna talk about it? That's the thing. If we want to talk about it in chronological order of the characters of what they went through, yeah, I agree, it'll be simple. But if we try to talk about it scene for scene as they happened, that's where it gets difficult.
0: <laughs> it'll be easy. I'm I'm joking, it'll probably be terrible. <laughs> but um... I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna purposely you can rewatch it as it theatrically aired. I'm gonna rewatch the recut version where oh, it's in correct order.
0: No, nah, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. That <laughs> defeats the entire part of the movie.
1: Yeah, but it'll make it so much more interesting to talk about. It's like what are I, you talking about? It I, was the most boring movie we've ever seen.
0: I'm fairly certain that Nolan does not approve of that version because like it's it's like taking away like I don't know the like,
1: entire framing
0: structure. Yeah, like 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 the movie's built around that framing structure. So if you take yeah. that away, it, it wouldn't work very well. I will say he may not approve, but
1: it was officially on a DVD release. So, he yeah, can't disapprove just, that much. Just cause some
0: distributor decide to hack it this does gotcha. that mean it's it's uh a valid way of watching it damn it anyway we'll get to memento next week what about now yes yes so so yeah i think i think going relatively chronological here to it'd be easier to remember and actually talk about the the various mm-hmm. things that are going on although i can see his bounce like maybe talking about some of those transitions and where and when it chooses to reveal certain parts of like right. different elements of it because obviously you know you get in this like we'll call it stage two bill when he's in the the suit he's got his haircut Mm -hmm. and he's starting to interact with the blonde he's talking to her he's trying to engage in a relationship of some kind you get the sense that okay that gives us this through line in the middle of the story that he's doing this and then of course it's a little bit you know it's after he's had several scenes with her before it goes back and shows you that oh him and Cobb broke into her place earlier in the timeline when he had the longer hair um So you get some of those things. But I think for the most part, though, we'll we'll go chronological here and talk about... uh, Because, you know, at the very least, we have to start with him meeting Cobb and how that kicks off and how it... Which,
1: I mean, is extremely early in the movie. It's first, like, ten minutes. Yeah, he follows
0: Cobb around and he sees him coming out of a place and he's got a bag and he's really curious about it. Mm -hmm. But then he follows him into, like, a coffee shop or a diner and sits down at a table... And he gets very, you know, he's very, like, our main character, uh, Bill, he's very antsy and very nervous mm-hmm. and, uh, which, by the way, I don't think I've ever been in, like, a, a place like this where you say to the the waitress, I'll just have a coffee, please. And she's like, oh, it's lunchtime. Seriously? <laughs> and then he's like, okay, fine. Give me, like, a toastie as well, then.
1: I, <laughs> I went to a place in Baltimore called Dick's, and the entire thing of the restaurant is that the waitresses and waiters were dick's to you (laughs) that's the only time i've been in a place
0: that's like anywhere close to that but at least that's like the joke and you're in on it oh yeah yeah uh this was weird like if someone said that to me in a restaurant like oh you're not gonna order anything i'd be like fine i'll just leave (laughs) i must stay in here with that i should it's not
1: like i'm here for any other bigger purpose like watching this guy or anything
0: (laughs) but of course uh, this guy who we find out is called Cobb gets up and comes over and I I love how this is shot as well where you know, the mm-hmm. whole time like Bill's got his head sort of tucked away and he's trying to hide his face so that he won't recognize him or notice I him. I like
1: I love how he tucks away his face like as Cobb is walking over. Meanwhile the entire time he's sitting there, he's practically like hunched over, staring hi <laughs> Cobb down. It's like, okay, guy, maybe just put your I elbows mean,
0: back in your head slightly. We definitely learn as the movie goes on that this guy has no chill. So like no, it's very clear. It's very clear. So, but Cobb, like, it films like Cobb walking and it's like, oh, and you feel like, oh, we're going to follow him past where Bill's sitting, but then mm-hmm. Cobb just takes a seat in front of him and you're like, oh no, like, you're like the entire thing. And it is this like, and even the dialogue like talks about how awkward this is where he's like, wait, why, who are you and why are you following me? And he's like, I'm not following you. He's like, yeah you are well okay i thought you were someone that i knew from school and i wanted to like see get closer and see if it was you it's like why don't you just say something to me as soon as you saw me it's like well because then i'd be embarrassed if it wasn't more embarrassed than you are right now it's like good point
1: (laughs) i do okay so this was the first point in the movie where i kind of really had the comparisons in my mind to fight club which is weird because fight club didn't come out for another year but there are a lot of similarities here between like the protagonist the fight club and tyler durden compared to these two they've got the same kind of personalities going on and even leading into the fact of uh like you know we get the protagonist in this is cut and beat and bruised up at the beginning of this movie and then we get the exploration as to how did we get here coming up later there's just a lot of similarities there, which are not negative, but it just kept reminding me throughout this movie.
0: Yeah,
1: and this is better than Fight Club, so it's fine. No, I'm not <laughs> going to make that argument.
0: I I literally just rewatched Fight Club for a top ten oh. project just to see if my my opinion had changed on it since mm-hmm. I first saw it. And I don't hate it, but it's like David Fincher's like second weakest film i don't like it that much eh,
1: that's fair that's it, it, it's all right it? i get what
0: he's doing i appreciate it for what it is but i just don't like it that much all uh, right. so it's just a that you brought that up <laughs> no but
1: like do you see the similarities that i'm talking about there
0: i mean kinda i it's uh, but again I, I don't think this is unique to fight club and i don't think this was the first movie to do it either like like this type of no, pair yeah, of characters can't. i think is is not uncommon i guess it
1: was i guess it was more so just the closeness they came out where it was 98 to 99 mm. the fact that they had the same sort of thing going on not only with their characters but also just like this secret double life that they're leading behind the scenes
0: yeah yeah uh, so basically Cobb just like casually lets him look in his bag because you know he's Bell says, "Oh, I was curious about who you were and what was in the bag." And he's like, "Well, look." And there's like just stolen stuff in it. He stole some CDs and he stole some other stuff.
1: Is there any indication that this stuff was stolen? I, I feel like he just assumed they were stolen. And Cobb's like, "You're right. I did."
0: Um, well, I, th- I think the implication was is that because he'd been following him and he saw him go into some place and then come out, that he, he uh, it, it was clear it was clear to him that he'd broken in somewhere okay that makes sense so um yeah basically Cobb takes him under his wing and takes him to this next place that he's been casing uh and yeah this whole thing like you said is all about intimacy and when they go into this like young couple's house this you know that's apartment and they start Hmm. looking around he's like oh look at this this tells us this about them It it tells us that they're maybe just out of college and they've just moved in it tells us that they're you know whatever and he always talks about how he figures things out because they'll have stuff written on the calendar in the kitchen, and it's like, yeah. oh, you're really prying on, like, figuring like people out just based on what they've got in their house, and you, you know, it's very, it's very perverse, not necessarily in a sexual way, but it's very perverse in an intrusive way, like in a, like you're you're getting inside, and you're violating someone's like, like sanctity, you know, it's, it's you know, a sanctuary. Yeah, I should it, say.
1: it feels like the modern day version of like facebook stalking like myspace sort of stuff where it was you go onto these people's profiles and you just go through every single solitary detail of their life that they've let slip i mean that's just just, worse than that but sure oh yeah yeah yeah. no but i'm saying like it's it's that but for like what the average person can understand can relate to but then you take it this extra step where this is the stuff that they never meant to get out this is the stuff that was only ever meant for them and still piecing together that image of them through like you said just little notes made to themselves or the items they keep on their shelf
0: yeah what do they put in their box because this is is the first time where he brings this up where yeah everyone has a box with like personal items in it you know so it may be maybe some valuables but usually more often not it'll be like personal photographs or you Mm. know just something something that's important to people yeah you know letters from
1: loved ones or childhood yeah.
0: trinkets or whatever and immediately you remember the opening and it, you, you can tell it's not the same box but you remember that box and you're like oh mm-hmm. this box at the start of the movie is one of those boxes and clearly whoever's box that says is, is going to become important is yeah. somewhere in the movie um mm-hmm. but yeah he's been like this is the thing about Cobb as a character is that he's so suave and casual about everything he's doing he's not nervous he's the complete opposite of bill bill's like nervous and agitated and worried that they're going to get caught like constantly um mm-hmm. And he's trying his hardest, but uh, Bell uh, Cobb is so, so suave and doesn't care. And he th- he thinks quickly on his feet because you know this couple come home or one of the mm. couple come home. Because uh, yeah. basically, he just makes up some excuse that they're from the agency and they're checking the place out. And she's like, but we're not moving out. It's like, oh, there must be a mistake somewhere. And he just, you know, quickly gets out. And he tries to be as casual and as calm about it as possible so it doesn't look suspicious, even though she's clearly thinking this is suspicious. And then Hmm. he deduces afterwards when they're up in the roof. He's like, hey, the reason why she's not going to come looking too hard for this is because she's home with someone who's not her boyfriend. Like, she's, she's cheating on her boyfriend. So she's got something to hide here. And she can't explain why she was home at this time to her significant other.
1: I I really appreciate how all of that, even without Cobb explaining it, mm. all of it was conveyed in a single line from the girl, which was, Do you want some wine? Like, that's it. Because, like, you're middle of the day here. And if it was the boy, it was her boyfriend the boy he wouldn't have yeah if it was the boyfriend she wouldn't have to ask because it's his house he could just yeah. get the wine himself it's only in that it's this guest that is unexpected at this point
0: and even just the body language where the guy just kind of stands there awkwardly if this was the boyfriend he would be like what the hell are you doing in here he'd be getting angry right. as well he'd be asking questions but this guy just kind of stands there awkwardly in the background like oh this is not my place i can't you know yep. get involved it here is- it
1: is also worth noting that Cobb, being the dick he is, he slid a pair of panties into the boyfriend's pants for the girlfriend to find. Yeah. So he was like, oh, yeah, I feel kind of bad for doing that now, considering that she was the one who was stepping out on him.
0: Yeah, he's got a whole thing here where he's like, yeah, yeah, you take something away so people appreciate what they had and they, they reconsider their, their lives. And
1: stuff. That's, that's where, as soon as he said that, I'm like, that's a line from Fight Club. I remember that line from Fight Club. But this
0: was first so it was
1: so
0: <laughs> fincher you david Fincher. You,
1: yeah i was about to say those exact words
0: uh can't. fincher's a very good director i want to make it clear that even though i don't like Fake club that much i like many david fincher movies i'm not throwing mm-hmm. shade on one yeah. fincher um so no i mean and there's a lot of our little details here that are important like uh looking for the key like before mm-hmm. they go into the place um and he's checking under the mat he's checking you know and then I think Bill starts checking around the surroundings and stuff and he finds the key and like over the door for him. Yeah. And you know, this is one of these little things where he explains that. Cause I think Bill says something like, Oh, like you really find keys, like, you know, hidden in plant pots and stuff. And he's like, you'd be surprised how many people actually do that. It's not, and that's the thing. I don't believe him. I don't think it is a thing that most people actually do, but the movie's saying to is in this world, the characters yeah. just said, you'd be surprised how many people do. So you can live with it and move on like just accept yeah. it and we can get on with things
1: it's it's not one of those things where like it's out of the realm of possibility because i think everyone has that idea of people do this and they yes. don't think it's everyone but this movie's just saying like okay but like just assume that everyone we meet does it <laughs> that's all you really need
0: yeah um Although, there is an indication later that maybe some of this is a little bit staged, although I'm not sure if this particular place is, but, mm. uh, you know, because there's a line later on, about oh, like, three hidden keys in a row? Oh, even Bill would get suspicious of that, Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, you know, you could debate either way, but it, mm-hmm. it's there. Uh, the one that bothers me more on this subject is the, uh, the keys in the car, like, in the, in the you pull down the shades. Oh, yeah, no like, one does that. Yeah, I'm like, who, who does this? No. <laughs> I I
1: feel like a lot of these tropes were set up in like the 40s or 50s or something <laughs> when everyone was just a lot more trusting of their surroundings and their neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, or maybe just one movie producer did it and said, "Yeah, everyone does that." So then it was yeah. in it was in one movie and then all of a sudden every other movie started copying. It's like the uh the tape at the crime scene around the dead body. That's not a real thing. Police yeah, have never the, done that. The
1: chalk outline. Yeah.
0: But a couple of movies did it in like the '30s or '40s, and all of a sudden it became this thing that movies just did.
1: I mean, I I can appreciate the fact that all movies exist in this sort of cinema world yes. where you just have to accept <laughs> so, like the people who just sit there and perfectly speak a monologue without any ums or rs in there. It's like, all right, that's just how people are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although, what well, every now and again you will get a movie that intentionally has people with the little things in their speech to make it feel real
1: those are far more fewer than the ones where it's mr shakespeare over here with his perfectly picked words
0: oh yeah yeah. the 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 perfect dialogue is definitely far more common than the imperfect Mm -hmm. dialogue i think that's that's fair to say yeah Uh, so so this is like an example of what Cobb does right and he's sort of training bill and then we see afterwards that he you know they keep doing this and he takes bill Mm -hmm. uh to... i think chronologically is the blonde woman's place it probably is yeah it's, it's probably it's worth mentioning though at this point in the movie by the time we get this scene he's already mm-hmm. interacted with the blonde woman later in the timeline you oh know. yeah this is like 30 minutes into the movie yeah uh so it's it's actually quite exciting when you realize oh they're coming here and mm-hmm. plot wise it's very important that Cobb brought him here because mm-hmm. if it was just a coincidence that Cobb and the blonde woman end up knowing each other later in the movie when that's revealed. Yeah. That'd be ridiculous. But no, no, this is, this is part of the long con. This is, this entire thing, of course, is Cobb doing something to Bill. This is all part of a plan, you know?
1: So he, he brings
0: into the blonde
1: woman's house and it's just like any other job. They show up, they immediately start rifling through her panty drawer because I guess... They see an image of her, and she's so hot. And there's this very awkward scene in here where both of them just take a good, deep whiff (laughs) of a handful of panties. And it's just... I don't know how I'm supposed to take this scene, but uncomfortable is the word that comes to mind.
0: Well, no, I I get the scene. I I think it makes complete sense, because when you find out what Cobb's been doing the whole movie, his Hmm. whole goal here is to make... Bell want her right. His whole yeah, goal here, like into her. yeah, yeah, is to is to convince him that he wants to start following her and to to sort of hook him in, right? You know, this is the bait. So over like emphasizing all the photographs and that she's a babe, and you know, I think he literally says that. And then mm-hmm. the 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 panty drawer and like you know, oh, I'm taking a handful. You can suit yourself. And then of course, Bell just sort of slyly puts one in his pocket because yeah. he's a bit more embarrassed about it, but he takes one anyway um it's it's all about setting up this stage and like sort of trying to lure him into the the trap if you will which mm-hmm. you know i, I think works uh, well enough um you know it is kind of funny to think that uh at this point in the movie or at this point in time rather Like CDs were still so valuable that were worth stealing. Yeah, like that. That's because especially when, like, when Cobb takes him to a restaurant and says, "Yeah, my life a crime pays for." You you still CDs. (laughs) Like, are you telling me that we could sell a truckload of DVD players and (laughs) make a boatload of money? We could make a lot of funny money fast and possibly furiously. (laughs) Ah,
1: well, sounds like a good business investment to me.
0: Actually, you're incorrect. We skipped over something because it. Oh, so before the blonde woman's house, so in the mm-hmm. timeline uh Bill is tasked with finding his own mark and like following someone and then picking uh, their yes. house and he kind of chickens out or can't do it and decides to like take Cobb to his own place without without telling them that obviously he he's saying oh no, I've got a mark and I found this place um and he, he brings them to his own place and what's so fascinating about this and what makes it a really kind of darkly funny scene but also kind of sad is that cobb starts like analyzing whoever lives here in front of him and he's brutal about it <laughs> yeah well that's i actually you say he chickened
1: out or something i think this might have been in the intention on oh you think he wanted this on bill's side i think he was like all right well this guy is able to piece together so much from just seeing a few little books or whatever. Let's see what he thinks about me. Let's see what, without well, knowing this is me, he what does he get?
0: He doesn't think much. No, nope. <laughs> He uh, calls him pathetic. Um, he says, this guy's not a writer. He's got a shitty typewriter. If he was a, he wants to be a writer. If he was a writer, he'd have a word processor, which again, even calling it a word processor feels yeah. very <laughs> of its time. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very snapshot window in time, but it's, you know, he analyzes the stuff on on the walls and how kind of sad mm-hmm. and pathetic he, he talks about his music taste and how, how shit it is and no one will want it. And he says, no, yep. we're not taking anything because I feel bad taking something from someone this pathetic.
1: <laughs> well, it's not even that. He immediately flips on him once he comes to the conclusion that this guy is unemployed, whoever's mm. house they're in is unemployed. And as such, they can't predict his schedule. They can't assume he'll be out at work all day. Yeah. So he berates Bill, tells him, "You didn't do any sort of research, did you? Let's get out of here now." <laughs> and so
0: he just leaves. Yeah. But it's, but honestly, obviously, obviously, there's nothing really noble about Cobb. But there's th- that sly little comment he makes there to present as if he is a noble guy. He's like, no, I don't take from people who will actually be like hurt by what I'm taking. You know. Yeah. So you know, it, but then
1: much later in the movie we get a whole different reveal regarding this scene
0: oh of course yeah it it turns out later on that Cobb knew it was him the whole time and he intentionally did all and he makes fun of him he's like oh he put a key under his mat he bought a new floor mat for his door just so he could hide a key under it just to put a key under it how pathetic yeah and he just sits there and like just tears him to shreds and he he has no respect for him he's nothing but Mm. a mark that's all he is it's it yeah and when that comes, it is kind of a gut punch of a reveal because you realize oh, yeah. he's with the blonde woman the entire time and she mm. knows who Bill is relatively enough and she's been tasked yeah. with kind of like luring him in. Once
1: we get to that scene, that's the first time you get the reveal that neither of them are on Bill's side. Yeah, Both of them are against him and using him for some larger
0: purpose. And I think you start to feel really bad because he's like, obviously, like is not like this great character. Obviously he, he starts following people he's mm-hmm. wanting to get into this life of crime he has flaws and all these things but when you realize just how badly he's being tricked and taken advantage of you do start to feel like oh i, I hope he gets a bit of a win somehow like yeah. you know he's i was like oh,
1: okay i'm hoping this movie is a, in terms of comedy tragedy i'm hoping it's on the comedy side uh, i hope that he comes out with something
0: yeah all that stuff once you find out that cobb's just playing him and like everything mm-hmm. he says about him like just hits really hard um and I I want to say that we already have an idea that she's working with them, um, when she brings up that those photographs of her that she wants to get back from the gangster like ex boyfriend, um. Okay. So I think at that point when she says that your heart sinks because like oh this is what the goal is like this is all about getting him to go and do this right yeah um you know this this is her finally sort of like basically putting the trap into motion
1: yeah. More or less. Everything here was just set up, and now it's like, all right, here's the big trigger pull. Yeah. But that's
0: not towards—that's still like an hour into the movie, more or less. Oh, yeah, that's much later. But, I mean, before mm-hmm. they already established we're not going through this exactly. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a whole back and forth. Yeah. So
1: I think after his own apartment is when they go out to that lunch-dinner thing. Uh, that sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so they go out, they they say, oh wait, no, first they drop off the goods at the abandoned apartment. Yes. And he explains how there's tons of buildings and apartments and stuff like that all over London that are just completely abandoned. He just gets into them, uses them for a month or two, and then bails. And no one even knows he was there. And... They decide that uh, he's going to fence the goods because Bill has no idea how to even begin fencing them. And after it's all said and done, he'll get like half of the proceeds or something like that. And then he invites him out to dinner. And while they're at this dinner place. He hands him a credit card that he says that he stole. He lifted off a guy and it's unsigned on the back, so if Bill just signs the name that's on the front of the card, his own handwriting will always match, so he's able to use this credit card however he wants. And I believe the name on it was Daniel Lloyd.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which does eventually come back up. Um,
1: mm. Well, which in in terms of movie structure, it already came up. It's already a name that he's been using.
0: That, that's this. True, yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, and that's when the couple whose house they broke into the first time come into Mm. the restaurant and bill starts freaking out and wants to leave they're going to notice and Cobb's like so chill he's like like she's with her boyfriend she can't come and talk to she can't accuse us of anything while he's there yeah uh like she's in this bind um but you know bill's freaking out and Cobb eventually agrees to go i mean he's very you know, he he swears at him. He's not he's not happy that they have to go. But he, I was gonna say
1: it's like passive aggressive minus the passive. Yeah. He's just like, this sucks. I hate this.
0: So yeah, check please. But the the whole thing is, uh, Bell starts to think more and more about the blonde woman, right? And she's credited mm-hmm. as the blonde, right? Um, yes. And he keeps a lot of her items. He says, "Hey, I'll go fence this stuff. I probably won't get as much as you could for it, but let me give it a try." And this is kind of where it reveals whenever we get this scene, it cuts to his end of the phone call and he sort of, we find out that he's working with her, that Cobb and Lucy, Lucy, Mm. that's the actress's name, sorry, uh, the blonde, (laughs) Cobb and and the blonde uh, are in cahoots. (laughs) And he's like, oh, he's he's going to pretend to fence it and give me whatever money he can, uh, but he's going to try and give you some of your stuff back because he's falling for you. But that's all, you know, kind of the plan. It's all, and, Mm. and, you know, It's after being told that he's he's pathetic at the restaurant and he needs to clean himself up and not look such a a homeless guy that he goes and cuts his hair. And then that gets us into kind of where we started the middle part of the timeline, which is him in the suit with the short hair Mm -hmm. going to this club where she goes on a regular basis and goes up to her, asked to buy her a drink. And she says no, and she says because the, there's this guy here that'll get jealous who turns out to be the guy who owns the club and is mm-hmm. uh, a mob boss or something to that effect. I want to, I want to just pose something he, here, though. Yeah, Go ahead. She re- He keeps referring to him as the bald guy, and yeah. every time it cut to him, I went, I don't think you know what that word means, Bill.
1: Nope. I, I 100% believe that this script was written, and they were like, okay, let's like, find an actor who's bald, and they just could not. And they refused to change the script for whatever reason. Because,
0: like, he's got a little, he's got that sort of shape that he's here, which receded a little bit in the sides. Yeah, like the widow's peak yeah, sort of thing. But, like, he is not bald. Like, he, like... No. <laughs> this man is not bald
1: at all. I I did notice about halfway through that there's pretty much no scene or even shot in this movie where that actor is in a shot with, like, any other actor any notable actor i should say like none of our main characters ever share a shot with him so i wonder if maybe they started with a bald actor mm. they shot lines regarding that and then for whatever reason they
0: had to reshoot with this new guy uh maybe that's possible um but it's just it's because there is that moment where he says what well, that bald i think he drops a c word at this point that bald yeah. guy over there and it cuts to a shot of like the three guys and i'm like Which
1: one's you talking about? Yeah, one on the left? I don't know. It looks like he's got hair. Um, So, secondarily, maybe this is just me. This guy, for the first three scenes he was in, until we got, like, a really good close-up of his face in the action scene, I thought this was Christopher Eccleston. Like, he looks exactly (laughs) like Christopher Eccleston.
0: I never thought that, but I'll, I'll, you know, fair enough. It just it just took me person. I'm like,
1: I swear to God, that's him. It's the exact same. It's a, he's a British actor as well. So I was like, did true? Did true. Christopher Nolan get Christopher Eccleston in his student film just starting out?
0: I mean, what t- that's would have been around God in sixty seconds time period, maybe just before yeah. that. I don't I don't know how big Eccleston was. Like, if he was too big already to be yeah, in this. True. But uh, I don't know. I never thought it was something though. I yeah but you know he she ends up like making a little show and dance of like slapping him uh but mm-hmm. saying come meet me outside it's all like an act so that like the guy who make it jealous thinks that uh you know it's not going anywhere but yeah. she goes back to his place and he asks a bunch of questions and she's like oh you know i feel a bit weird because i got robbed the other day and he's like oh what was that How, what did that make you feel like and he starts asking all these questions uh, you know, and, a weird, and she even points out that people usually ask what was taken, but you're asking like all these different questions. And yeah. that's kind of like a running theme, actually. And it fits into his whole thing that he's interested in people and the, the enigma of what a person is and all the little things they don't want you to know. You know mm-hmm. That starts with the following, it becomes the looking through their apartments. And then even in all the scenes where he's with her, he keeps asking questions to a point where she's getting agitated. Um, yeah. And even though we eventually find out that she's kind of like, and and on the ruse to like trick him, she mm. still gets kind of upset because he's asking all these questions. Yeah, so, I mean it's
1: it's the question of, and I think even up until the end of the movie, you run this question of how much does she actually care for him as mm. a person? Because they ex- exclusively say at one point that like, yeah, the plan was if she needed to sleep with him, then yeah, go ahead, but. She seemingly is like really, I would almost say eager, but like is actually super okay with it. So the question is, how much does she
0: actually like him as a person? By the time we get to the end, I mean the scene where he confronts her and she mm-hmm. t- talks openly about working against him. Like it didn't seem like she cared about him in that scene.
1: Yeah, it- no, it didn't. But at the same time, it also didn't seem like she she was telling him, "Look, don't go to the police. That's only gonna make things worse." So it sounded like she was. Looking out for him still at the same time
0: uh, maybe I, I, don't know. I don't know
1: it could just be a complex character, different motivations and such
0: um I mean I, I mean ultimately find out that she's also kind of been used by Cobb by the very end, so she's also oh, yeah. a victim of his manipulation and his uh um and i do I think it's like so obviously i mean we've not mentioned this yet, but the main character in inception is also called Cobb, which is clearly yes. uh, uh you know a homage to this. But I do think it's interesting. Obviously, the entire point of Inception is that it's about planting an idea in someone's head. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting that this movie, we keep comparing it to like Memento and his films that sort of mess around with structure. But even that idea, like this entire thing's about Cobb planting these ideas into yeah. uh, Bill's head. So I, I think that's quite interesting that those ideas sure, are even here.
1: I'm sure once he started writing the script to Inception and he just had kind of like placeholder names, he was like, wait a minute. I feel like I've done this plot before.
0: Oh, hey. Yeah. Like, I, like the only actually, name I have there. That's the thing. They're actually nothing I like. But there's just no. that thematic link between them that's quite interesting. That yeah, just, getting, again. Getting shows these you the
1: innermost moments of people.
0: Yeah. But again, it shows you this, like these thematic through lines of a director who clearly mm-hmm. likes certain things and is trying to, like, tackle them in different ways. And obviously, Anthony tackled in this. They're all ripe to be tackled again in a much bigger stage later on, yeah, and absolutely. that's exactly what he's went on to do in various different movies. But mm-hmm. it's just it's fascinating to sort of notice that uh, as, as you're watching it. Um, yeah. So and so it, also throughout all this, we're seeing these parts where he's like looking beat up, right? And it mm-hmm. eventually turns out that Cobb beats him up, and it, he does it after he finds out that he slept with uh, with the blonde. Yes. Um and I, I think there's an argument here that. He he kind of goes further than he should with the, with beating them up just purely because it's actually annoyed him that he, oh, she slept yeah. with him. It kind of feels like that in the moment. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. It's
1: it's a it's the only real fight scene in this whole movie. There's one other I would say action scene, but it's mm. over in a blink and you'll miss it sort of thing. This is the only one where they actually tussle and fight and have a full on action scene, and I think the. The best part of it, for me, is the fact that Bill is absolutely blindsided by this. He has no idea why this is happening. And you get that. You get that through the way the fight goes on, in that he he's looking at uh, Cobb coming after him and attacking him, and he's fighting back as best he can, but he still feels like he's always on the back foot.
0: Yeah, it it, it does kind of come out of nowhere, to an extent. Uh, We have a bit more context as the audience, but even we don't really completely understand why he's doing it in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But you kind of piece it together. I I think, you know, it's around this part of the movie, uh, afterwards when they're talking about the fact that she slept with him, Cobb and the blonde, Mm -hmm. where Cobb starts talking about this old woman who was murdered, right? And this kind of comes out of nowhere at this point. Uh, But it's kind of revealed, at least at this point, that... The motivation for Cobb right now is to set up Bill as the scapegoat because basically he was robbing a place and he, he claims that he found an old woman who was murdered, right? Obviously, as an audience, and even Bill kind of implies this later, like, do we really know that he just found a dead woman? Like, that he didn't just kill her? Because right. it seems like something he would do. And the ending only further adds to that. Mm. But the idea is that he, he, that he wants someone who looks kind of like him so he's convinced Bill to cut his hair and dress like him mm-hmm. and he wants someone to use the same M.O. as him when he breaks into places, you know, takes only small things, follows people for a bit first, like, the idea being that he's setting up this duplicate who the police can take instead of him um, although it's worth mentioning the blonde when she's explaining this plan to, to uh, Bill when he confronts her after he does the little haste to get the stuff mm-hmm. out of the safe is that she just thinks that oh you will never get arrested for this because you weren't actually the you know, you you never did it. The whole idea is just to sort of like give the police two options so they can't really arrest either. You know, she, right. she thinks it's about confusing them and about giving them too many possibilities. Um but I think that's a bit naive on her part. That feels like Cobb's uh, Yeah, I was been... gonna
1: say, based off of what Cobb was even saying, he's like, No, I told them that it was this other guy. Yeah. And I like it fit his MO perfectly it always seemed to me like Cobb was entirely willing to have Bill take the fall.
0: And the beauty of, beauty of it is is that I think this old woman's story is a complete lie, because it's a lie mm-hmm. to the blonde as well. But what Cobb's actually doing is setting up a fall guy for a murder that he's not done yet, which yeah. is coming up at the end that's, of the movie. It's, when
1: we get there, that's what makes this script go that little extra bump up in yeah. my mind, where it's like, It goes from like, okay, this was a pretty okay story, pretty, pretty good by Nolan Sanders, to that like, ah, you son of a bitch, you did it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you—it's got layers where you keep revealing more things, and you keep thinking you've got a better sense of the whole picture. And some of it you can kind of see coming when you get enough information, but then the ending kind of like, as it's unraveling, you realize, oh no, 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 he's done all of this to you so that you'll take the fall for the blonde's murder when it eventually happens. Like, um,
1: the the best way I could even explain it is the fact that, like, you're seeing a jigsaw puzzle of, like, a picture frame, and you're looking at that picture frame, seeing it, and you're like, oh, no, I got a good idea what's going on, and then you realize it's all part of a much larger jigsaw yeah. puzzle that you just didn't even know was there to begin with.
0: Again, you know, we, uh, we mentioned that, that Cobb convinces Bill to cut his hair and look like him, and rob places or break into places just like him. He's also the one that tells him to use a hammer as a weapon, as for protection, because yep. because Cobb, uh, Bill asks Cobb, "Hey, like I need protection. What can I use?" And he's like, "Well, you know, a tool would be good. You know, maybe like a screwdriver or a hammer." And sure enough, a hammer's what he eventually is going to use to kill the blonde. So that. But
1: here's the thing: it's beautiful in the sense of it doesn't matter what he picks, yeah, because he uses the same weapon that the other one picked.
0: Yeah. Although, from a th- uh, like a callback sense, it also neatly works that this was the same weapon that the the gangster mob oh, boss yeah. used on someone, so just some dude, uh, on, mm-hmm. and because f- he killed someone in front of the blonde, and ultimately we find out that that's why Cobb is killing her. Cobb has been hired by the gangster ex boyfriend to kill her because she's a witness to these crimes, yeah and that's been his goal the whole movie. And he's so good at what he does that he's spent in this movie setting up this fall guy to take the blame for everything he's done. And when we get to that end, when the, you know, Bill's finished telling his story to the policeman, and the policeman's like, uh, well, we've got this hammer here with uh, her blood and the blood of the guy that you've admitted to, you know, hitting when you were doing yeah. the whole, uh you know, safe heist. Breaking into the safe, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got this credit card uh, here with your handwriting on it that's been used for for various things um mm-hmm. you've got these belongings to, of the victim uh including this earring that you've maybe taken as a trophy like it's all these things he ha- you know he has like, it's been so well plotted
1: yeah he has the pair of her panties along with the photos that he took like all of it was planned out even the him falling for her bit yep like it's 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 so well done in a sense of like with us describing it in the order that we are yeah. chronologically, it loses a bit of the impact because you feel like, oh, well, this seemed pretty well forecasted. But the fact that, like, the scene where it's revealed Cobb and the blonde have betrayed him—that's set way later than many other scenes that we have. Yeah,
0: there. I think we really can't emphasize enough how much the structure and the order of the the scenes that you get like mm-hmm. adds so much to how it feels, because like, it feels like you're unwrapping something constantly. Yeah. Because of the order of the events in the movie and how it's told to you,
1: it feels like you're going through an apartment and just seeing these random snippets of someone's life, and Beautiful. piecing it together.
0: Beautiful. And, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we've mentioned a safe heist a couple of times. So yeah, yeah, basically, she says to him, "Oh, like uh, the the gangster's blackmail me because he's got these like dirty photos of me." and she's like i've got the combination to the safe though and kind of lures him in and he you know he and you feel really bad for him because he sits down in the business like, hey i'll go get them it's fine and we can run away together. And you like oh you you dip. what you are you doing
1: stupid romantic
0: and i think the way it's done is that we actually saw half of him breaking into because i think we see him opening the safe in a prior scene and then we yeah. get this scene where it sets it up and then we go back to him and he's like taping the money because he can't find the bag. So he's like he's like using tape to tape the money Which, to his legs and stuff. I also,
1: I also really love that as an idea is that at the very beginning of this, they say, don't bring your own bag. Just yes. take a bag from when you're in because it's going to make it that much more natural. And something as small and throwaway as that then managed to evolve into this tenseness of this scene where he has all of this money and he knows he doesn't have very long but he can't find a back. Like, it's it's purposely robbing him of a resource intentionally, and then showing, here's why you should have brought one to well, begin with, you
0: idiot. Well, this is beautiful, because I think the plan... Like, it's actually... They didn't actually expect him to make it out here. Mm-hmm. They, they, they thought he was going to get caught. The, the plan originally was that he would get caught robbing this gangster, right? And yeah. he would either end up dead, right, and be a scapegoat as a dead guy, or he'd be caught and arrested and they'd have him already right the fact that it went on a little bit after that was just kind of i'd say dumb luck but the fact that he hit a henchman on the head with a hammer right um Mm -hmm. he doesn't even know if he killed him he's like i I was too scared i ran away like immediately like i wasn't sticking around to see if he was dead or not but this entire sequence like you say is so tense and i think part of it is it's got the moody lighting because it's black and white and there's so much darkness in the scene and Mm -hmm. there's a very narrow space but you're right, because the plan was to get him caught, this whole thing is don't take a bag, look for one that's there. It's almost like, like did she earlier that day go look through the area and make sure there was no bags that he could take? Just so right. that he would be struggling to like, oh, how do I take all this money with me? Like, I need to do something. Which I guess would have also led into the other
1: part of it, is that the blonde, at least, I don't know how truthful it was, but the blonde says that usually there isn't any money in the safe. So the only thing that would have been there at the time would have been those fake photos in the envelope. Do you, th-
0: do you think that's like, uh, again, just to make sure he doesn't take F the carry stuff? Because the, the idea being that when he opens the safe, if he sees these wads of cash, he's going to be like, well, I'm definitely taking that as well. Right. Like he can't exactly. resist it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that makes that scene really tense though, is that we know he cannot handle himself if like a tough gangster walks in. Like this guy hmm. is a scared little dweeb, right? <laughs> that's what he is. I'm sorry. This is the character you compared to me. Sorry, he is a petrified little dweeb. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, but no. Like you feel like no. He's he's in the shit here. It's not like he's been learning how to fight for himself. Like yeah, he does hit the guy with a hammer, but it's kind of like a it's like a one moment thing where he just gets lucky and yeah. he's managed to hit him.
1: This but, was this was like I said. This wasn't an action scene. This was a. No. He reached for a hammer, swung it, and the guy's down. And it's like, oh, I guess that just worked.
0: Yeah. So. Like, when you get to the end and you realise that all the things that Cobb told him were him planting all these little seeds so at the end of the day he would look like he was guilty of this crime. And mm-hmm. that's why I think the final moment of the film, which is just this shot of Cobb in the, you know, the, the busy street and there's people walking backwards and forwards in front of the camera and then he just disappears eventually into the ocean of people. This idea that... Like, it does this thing with Cobb as a character where by the end he almost feels like this mythical guy who... He's so he, good at what he does and he just blends into the, the ocean of people.
1: They Kaiser soze him. That's what it was. That was the entire yeah. thing in the movie. They just Kaiser soze Cobb.
0: Which, again, I'll be controversial again. I, I like this movie more than Usual Suspects. I've never I've never liked Usual Suspects that much. I've always found it was overrated.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've only ever given it one watch through like a decade ago. I'd have to go back, but...
0: And now it's a Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer movie and that feels a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to go back. yeah uh yeah like i i like i i just i get such a cool especially since at the start of the movie when uh bill's explaining like picking someone and he, he talks about how oh if you've ever been to, like a sports game or something and you look through the mm-hmm. crowd and it's just a sea of people there's no one individually but then you just lock your eyes on one person and just look long enough that they start becoming a person and not just part of the ocean of people yeah. and at the end of the movie it's the opposite it's like the one person becoming part of the, the crowd and just blended into it and disappearing yeah. and it's like bill never had a chance he was screwed from the first second this entire thing was like you know the the writing was on the wall you know it's this sad tragedy almost that bill just got completely taken advantage oh, of. yeah and that's th-
1: that's like what you're saying you get halfway through the movie you realize how many people are against him and you're like oh god i hope bill can pull this one out and <laughs> at the end it seems like he does He's, he gives the full story to the police officer and you're like, okay, he's presented all the evidence. But then you find out the murder of the blonde woman happened using the same murder weapon. And then all of the little things that the movie planted, but then purposely ignored, like the him taking the panties home with, him taking the photos with, the pearl earring, all of these things were planted and made very clear to the audience, this is a thing. But then it never brought it back up so that in this final scene, it could bring all those things together, and you're left looking like an idiot, sitting there going, "Oh God, he never stood a chance."
0: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that opening title sequence. Like, it's it's Cobb. You don't see his face, but it's just it's Cobb placing all these specifically chosen items into this box of hers, right? Mm-hmm. That this like he sets up this idea during the movie of everyone's got a box, and it tells you so much about who they are because this is the stuff they value, and then you find out by the end. And you think back to cause that opening that opening title sequence starts off with the, the gloves, the white gloves that he always wears. He puts the, the latex gloves in his hands, and you see him placing things, you know, into this box, right? That's him mm-hmm. doing it. You find out at the end that the box that he's made the main character obsess over was a fabrication. It was a complete lie, effectively. It wasn't even really the box that she made herself that she put these things into. Yeah. They may all be really her items. He might have went around her place and and pick stuff mm-hmm. but he did this that's the, even right from the, the word get go the box itself was the lie and yeah. it's just an extra layer to it and I, there is also the one point we skipped over is that during the
1: initial following where Bill was following Cobb Cobb caught on well before the scene in the cafe
0: oh yeah and, absolutely yeah
1: and and he reverse tailed him he managed to track down Bill and figure out where Which... he lived and
0: yeah see when they're confronting each other later uh and he says you know he he says i think he's gotten pinned during the fight or something or maybe it's earlier on but he's gotten pinned up against the wall and he says you know i noticed you were following me days before like i approached you in the cafe i followed you and what i love about that that moment is that bill's reaction is like you followed me he acts so offended like Dude, this is what you do to other people. You don't hey, get hey, to be upset. personal
1: <laughs> space,
0: buddy. <laughs> it's like he gets a taste of his own medicine for just a second. And maybe maybe that was a learning moment for him internally. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, eh, maybe I shouldn't do this to people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's that idea. The whole movie is about tricking someone who is slightly voyeuristic and mm-hmm. sort of using it against them. And again, they set up that he is this loner, that he is... Uh, he doesn't have friends. He doesn't have a job. He's completely on his own. And yeah, I the... think
1: that's I think that's the biggest thing though with setting up because it it almost strikes you when you first watch it, and it did for me. You got this unemployed writer character, and it almost seems like it's an author avatar sort of thing, where <laughs> it's writing what you know. Like, oh, I went to because obviously, Chris Nolan did go to school for like English literature rather than filmmaking. He he. He went to school for writing and Mm. it strikes you as, oh, this is where that student film comes in of like, oh, I'm just a poor writer, but I'm also the protagonist of the story. But in the end, it was necessary that he was this character who had nothing going on. Because that's the only way the cop would be able to shape him into what he needed to be by the end.
0: And I never thought of this, but you just made me think that there's maybe even, like, a little bit of a meta... Like, again, you're talking about this being an avatar for the author of the film, right, effectively? Mm -hmm. This idea that filmmaking and storytelling is looking... I mean, not real people, usually, but, like, you're looking into someone's life and you're exposing parts of it. Maybe there's almost this idea that the art itself reflects back on the author... So that's why the narrative or the thematic throughline of this movie is a character who is looking into other people voyeuristically, but then finds out that he's been preyed upon voyeuristically, and it yeah. lands him in trouble. Like it's what seals his fate at the end. Like maybe there's a little bit of a meta, you know, artist kind of commentary there. Yeah. I, I'm sure that I mean that's the thing that you can
1: get into with almost any Nolan film is how many levels of meta can you dig down <laughs> before you get to just bedrock here is the core of the
0: universe <laughs> i well I, this is the, the beauty of it is that there's so much creativity but it's also so focused and it like that he always knows what he's trying to achieve with the movie and he mm-hmm. works around the limitations to achieve that and every scene's got a purpose every little detail the characters have has a purpose that comes into play in the end game there is every detail individually amazing probably not there's a couple of things that maybe show a little bit of uh, his uh learning you know his his, you know his growing pains as a filmmaker we you know some things are maybe a bit on the nose here or there but shockingly not that much this this is a shockingly well put together engrossing very atmospheric film in a way that a lot of mainstream stuff isn't and it almost makes me wish he would make another low budget movie like I get oh, yeah. you know, I get that he's you know he's even Oppenheimer, he's doing these big, ridiculous, all star casts. But I almost wish that he like just grabbed uh a camera, a couple of people, maybe a couple of actors. It can be big actors. Like it it'd actually almost be kind of interesting to see like a Killian Murphy in like a movie that's like this, that's just this little intimate film, even though he's oh, yeah. already a movie star. That would actually be kinda cool. But uh you know like not everything he has to do has to be blockbuster level and it would almost be kind of cool to see him like like imagine he walks into the office at warner brothers or wherever and says you know what see for my next movie i only want a 20 million dollar budget which is still obviously astronomically high compared to whatever this was but they'd be like you should chris we'll give you 200 we'll give you 200 million chris What what are you talking about he's like no 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 i want to make an intimate film you, you say he needs to go into the office. I'm pretty sure all he
1: needs to do is just flip open his phone, send a text message to accounting, and they'll be like, the blank
0: check is on the way, sir. Look, I i am pretty confident that every film he made after this, more money was spent on catering than they'd Probably. spent on this.
1: Yeah. Well, that was that was one of the things here, is that the largest expense of the film, all things considered, was buying the film stock itself.
0: Oh, yeah, I think I heard that, actually. Yeah, that you yeah. brought that up,
1: yeah. And that came out of his salary at that. So there were producers. In fact, uh, Emma uh, Thomas, one of... I'm pretty sure it's his wife. It's his wife, At yeah, this point, yeah. yeah. Yeah, his wife and obviously producer for pretty much all of his films. She produced this one as well. It's been since the beginning.
0: Which is kind of nice that like they came through everything... Okay. Oh yeah. I, I wonder though, like, because obviously he's got a brother, right, who's also mm-hmm. making stuff. And I do, I do. Why is his brother not involved with in this movie? Yeah. Allison he just jo- He he was the grip. Remember oh, that's right. I he he had his brother that, was yeah. the grip. But just the grip though, not nothing that's like a proper credit.
1: <laughs> I mean, he definitely got the proper credit with the next one.
0: True. True. So, yeah. He co- he co-wrote or yeah. it, or maybe just wrote outright. Uh, he l- wrote l- he wrote the original short story. That's right. That's right and then he co-wrote i think the script maybe Mm -hmm. yeah um that's interesting um yeah like i love this little movie like it's not perfect but like it has so much mood compared to like other like films that have so much more money that can't even begin to achieve the feeling that this has it's i
1: i do think it is also kind of just like you said you would love to have christopher nolan be able to go back and do that like tiny little film just tiny little but i do think this is just the perfect sort of snapshot of him he had an idea who knows how long he was bouncing it around for and he just wanted to get it done he took the time he took massive pay cuts in order to do this but he just wanted to get this done i don't think modern day christopher nolan could do this because like you said he'd be given a blank check. Even if he didn't want it, he would have as much money as he needed to. So he wouldn't have to worry about cutting out the fluff. He wouldn't have to worry mm. about only filming like the bare essentials because if they filmed anything else, it would mean buying
0: more film stock. I think just um, just the, the idea of like doing a plot that's as small as this again, you know? It'd be, mm. it'd be great to, even if he's not going to like, okay, do a genuinely low budget thing. Like, just something that's much more lower. Key. Because it's not, like, oh, yeah. the stakes in this feel astronomical, even though they're not that big, like, compared to a lot of these other movies. But the like, the thing about stakes is, it doesn't matter what the scale of the movie is. The stakes should still feel big. And I think oh, the yeah. stakes feel huge in this. Uh, you know, that's why you're so tense at certain moments, because you're really invested in what's going on with the characters. And I think, you know, that's obviously been true. And We get to a point, you know, in later films, you know, in, in Interstellar, where it's like, Oh, we have to, you know, dock this spaceship while we're sinking into the planet's orbit, and the, the space station spinning, and like it's all this big grandiose shit, and it's great, it's yeah. it's wonderful, but like I I do almost like think, oh, he can do an intimate thriller again, and you know, I I oh, yeah. I, I do wish if not this level certainly back to like Memento level, I I really hmm. wish that he would maybe do something like that.
1: Well, that's that's what I think this movie and pretty much everything up until like Batman did very well is that you're talking about stakes this movie we get introduced to four characters very liberally four characters the and one of them is
0: barely a character
1: yeah exactly that's why i say very liberally four characters really three and the final scene the stakes everything we're building up to equally impacts all three of them and it changes their lives irrevocably like no matter how you view it everything changes for all of our characters because of the stakes of this movie. But we got to know each of them so personally that you feel it for each of them. Then you fast forward to something, as you were saying, interstellar, and the stakes are pretty much the whole of humanity. Yeah. Which you can't intimately know the whole of humanity. So don't get me wrong. That movie, still,
0: that movie still does the right thing, though, of making you care about some key characters so it means right. something. But yeah, like... And I think they are interesting about talking about the setup of this movie and its three characters, is that they're all very different in how our relationship to them as the viewer. You've got Bill, the main character, the narrator, who there is no secrets from us, right? We start with him. Obviously, we learn some things out of order, but we know him the most intimately. We know what he's really like. We know what he's like. And we, we even understand that he's trying to pretend to be something better than he is or... He's trying to look like he's this tough, like, suave criminal when he's not. Like, we know him in such an intimate level. Um, He's an open book to us. And then you've got the blonde, who is a lie to us, but we ultimately learn that she's also vulnerable and that she's also, at least to some extent, who she really is. And then you've Mm -hmm. got Cobb, who's kind of never, like, it's revealed what he's doing, but he's always so closed off from us that everything, we have to question everything he ever says on screen like everything yeah. he's ever does on screen we can't trust because he is this like force that is shielded from us as as the viewer because he's shielded from the main character as well mm-hmm. and i think that's what makes them such a captivating trio of characters is that they all fill very different types of role and that's what makes them all work mm-hmm. so but even
1: then it's for Cobb at the very least Cobb is a false protagonist more or less in that we trust him as a character Right up until about like the halfway point. And then all of a sudden, we're given this shift of, oh, wait, we have to reevaluate everything because he's not able to be trusted.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd say I trusted him before. Then,
1: but... I don't trust him, but I also didn't doubt anything he was saying. When mm. he said, like, oh, I'm doing this for these reasons, I'm like, yeah, that sounds right to me. That sounds like you're confident in what you're saying. But then by the time you get to the halfway point, you're like, yeah. oh, you're confident, but you're lying.
0: I think maybe in a meta level, like, I thought there was more to it, but that's because I'm getting into it knowing it's a Christopher Nolan film and I'm, like, actively right. second-guessing them, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I if I sat down and watched this in a vacuum without knowing who it was by or anything, you know, maybe it'd be mm-hmm. a different story. But, um, it, you know, I I think, you know, we've talked comfortably longer than the length of the movie, which admittedly it's yes. only a 70-minute movie, so there was a good chance that that was going to happen to this one. But, yeah it's a testament that this has as much depth and riches to it and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's proof to me that you don't need necessarily a lot of money and th- this is why i get mad when i see low-budget movies that look like shit because i'm like now admittedly yes christopher nolan went on to prove himself to be one of the most like talented directors of the modern age that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. true that not everyone can be christopher nolan but there's other directors as well that don't go that big they just they stick in that kind of lane but they're very good at the low budget movies and it's movies like this that make me really mad when i see some cheap shot on digital video everything looks very sterile there's no feel to it there's no tension or drama and there's no creativity in the script because that's the key thing here is that when you have no money the biggest power you have as a storyteller is that that does not limit how good your writing can be, like it limits what you can put in the script. You can't just put in, oh, and then there's a space station which explodes. You can't do that, but unless you're Neil Brain. <laughs> unless you're Neil Breen, <laughs> but you can, like, and this is something we started off this entire discussion with: is writing around what your limitations are. But as long as you create compelling characters, you can play, c- create compelling stakes, and have it all unfold in a way that's visually interesting you could like the sky's still the limit even with no mm-hmm. money and that's why it's so frustrating when you see other low-budget movies that uh sometimes all look the same it's why i get so frustrated with like this era of you know the the content you know the hashtag content the netflix yeah. originals and stuff like that where it's just all these really bland movies and i'm like how is it possible to have all these films feel this bland when you know it, yeah. and I, get, I think part of it is is that hunger where i mean part of it's just the talent but there's this hunger to prove yourself maybe when you're this young filmmaker at this age and you're like oh mm-hmm. i'm going to reinvent the wheel i'm going to do something unique and different and make people take notice of me and obviously they did because he started being handed memento and yeah other films you know i
1: mean he brought, he brought memento to them and said my sure, brother yeah. wrote this here's my previous work may i direct it and they said here's guy pierce go nuts it was only once
0: they got to batman that they were like here's batman we trust you implicitly yes um and i wouldn't say they trusted him implicitly after begins per se although they let him make prestige i think Mm. once dark knight came out though and it was both critical and financially just a juggernaut it's like okay at this point you have carte blanche you can do whatever the hell you want and no one is going to really argue with you i really want to make a
1: film about Going inside of people's minds while they dream and they're like, Whatever, man, do it.
0: <laughs> is there going to be movie stars? Yes. Well, do it. You can have do whatever you want. So it's yeah, it's it's a fascinating little film because it is the first movie by Christopher Nolan, but it's mm-hmm. also just really good, which is yeah. saying something as well. So uh
1: I mean, like you were saying, they had the director trademarks. If you're looking for it, you can see these things that are just inherently Nolan-esque. But, like you were also saying, if you put it in a vacuum, I don't think that you could say, oh, this is definitely a Christopher Nolan film. It does feel different enough that it isn't completely fleshed out. Like, he doesn't have a style entirely decided on yet.
0: I I guess the way I'd put it is that you should watch this because it's good, not just because it's an interesting thing because it's early Christopher Mm. Nolan i think it's good enough to actually be worth watching if you like tense little thrillers if you like indie films and low budget films i think it's a no-brainer it's the only film of his that is in the criterion collection that's technically true so <laughs> but i think that's also because of whoever owns the race it was easy to get a hold of <laughs> that's fair uh and probably needed a release and criterion were more than happy to uh yeah step in um yeah. What's interesting, I actually, I own this. I own the old Blu ray, but I also own it on iTunes. And it's technically IFC films on iTunes, but it's still right. the Criterion print. It still comes up with the Criterion logo at the start, and it's huh. still their, their version. I
1: wonder what the distribution on this was prior to IFC and
0: uh, I, I, Criterion
1: picking it up.
0: Probably not much. Also, I <laughs> noticed as well at the start uh, Christopher Nolan's company, Syncopy was yeah. there but it's clearly their fancy logo that was made years later it's like okay, okay this wasn't originally in this movie i'm not believing well, then, they came, then they came
1: up with the secondary production logo which i assumed was his actual production logo at the time of new wave films
0: yeah and that looks like something that student filmmaker could and again this isn't actually a student film we keep saying it's shouldn't because he was borrowing college equipment and he was at yeah. that age but
1: I, well i checked it out he was actually 28 when this was oh, released really? okay he was yes. a bit older
0: but a lot of people finish college, you know, about 22, yeah, 24 23. 25. Something. Yeah, so it's not that much later. Nah. interesting. Did, 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 was, was he already done by that point? With uh... I don't, I don't, I don't have his transcripts. Well, no, I'm just it. saying, like, you know, did did he finish? I'm just wondering if did he finish like his literature stuff and then do some film course stuff afterwards? Or
1: according I to IMDb, he never took a film thing and that's what's interesting never. so so
0: he went into the film department presumably at either his college or just some the, the nearby college and just said hey i want to use some of your stuff yeah. <laughs> can
1: i can i uh get away with it it said Christopher nolan never studied filmmaking at university he studied english u- literature at university college london and used the film society there to shoot the opening dialogue scene okay. between bill and the policeman
0: so yeah so it was his you know campus he did just yes, his go- alma mater he went to the other department and said hey can i use some of this I, he probably was good friends with someone who worked there he probably oh, yeah. he, he probably you know they always say it's who you know i'm sure he had some connections that helped well him i mean out just
1: the policeman in this movie we didn't mention is uh jonathan nolan who is his
0: uncle who well, worked j- in well an imdb is john nolan so just to differentiate from jonathan yes. nolan who's his brother and john nolan Right. Although, uh, his brother might have been named after this uncle. Yeah. I mean, probably, possibly. Either that, they both got it from like a
1: grandfather or something. But uh, he has his own film credits and he's had his own acting career. So it might be a little bit of what you know just through him.
0: Yeah, he uh, he's popped up in like minor roles. Like he's in like he's in the boardroom stuff for Batman Begins and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, right. But I'm just saying he had a whole career before
1: Christopher Nolan started
0: putting him in his own stuff. I'd hope so. He's old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He he goes all the way back to the, the late sixties here but a quick look mm-hmm. of it. Uh yep. lot of British a lot of British TV uh yeah, by the looks of it. Um I, I think he's uh his nephew is what actually got him some real movie roles by the, by oh, the looks yeah. of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Person of interest, he's a recurring character. Twenty eight episodes, oh aye. So Jonathan Nolan's actually given him way more screen time probably than Christopher oh, has. Yeah. Absolutely. So, who's the favorite nephew now? <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine it's the one named after him. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. So, no, obviously we recommend following, and hopefully we made that clear before spoilers so people actually went and watched it before we just ruined all of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but And again, you say we ruined it, but it
1: really does come down to how the structure is. It's worth true, watching just for true.
0: that. Yeah, yeah, but I think obviously it's better if you go in not knowing all the... Mm the details and where it's going to go yeah. uh but uh, i an excellent little film um yeah. not well, perfect, would you like but... to rate it before me then no all
1: right man. you That's can rate it all right so like i said all the stuff that i said before it is a great little film there's a reason it's in criterion i don't have pretty much any issue with it um any of my tiny little critiques are just based off of what I know about Christopher Nolan and like when this movie was made, if you were to tell me this was Christopher Nolan's film, he came out with in like 2013 rather than 1998. I'd say like, Oh wow. Yeah. I really see that. It's all of my student film things being (laughs) thrown onto it are strictly because I know the time period. It's not really something in the movie inherently. So overall, I got to give this one. Ah, man, it's tough. I'm, I, I think I'm going to say 8.5. And the the only reason I'm dipping beneath the 9 is that it is still a smaller, more intimate movie. It is a great movie. It does have, like, a great twist there at the end. But I do think that it's, like you said, it's still missing, like, that little bit of extra oomph that he got over the years. That little bit of extra polish that he was able to put on it. In his later films. So 8.5, still very good.
0: Yeah, I'm going eight point five as well. It's what I already had in my okay. in my mind. So it's it's just amusing to meet you landed on that after struggling for a little bit. Yes. Um but I I'll, I'll just bring up a final point here because I just didn't mention it already, is that sure. when we it's revealing that Cobb kills the blonde, and this mm. is intercutting, this intercuts with uh the police interview where He's he's basically finding out that she's dead and the cops saying, Oh, we found her this morning and it's intercutting with cop killing her, right? Again, mm. playing with the narrative structure. I love the way it cuts from her scream back to the interview. Um mm. because it cuts it off like you hear her scream really harshly and then it cuts after maybe like just two or three like it's really it's a really harsh cut, but it's perfect. Like it it makes it sound horrific, what was happening to her. Um yeah. and I just I thought it was very effective. So um, again yeah, yeah. it's really simple like, it's not really that fancy a technique it's just cutting away midstream but it made it sound even more horrific than just probably if you'd stuck around for the rest of the scene so oh, yeah. uh, excellent stuff um, In
1: fact, I think I mean just to pick on that a little bit more is during the scene where the mob boss guy the club owner mm. we actually stick it with him after he hits the guy with the hammer yeah. and I argue that that loses a little bit because you are stuck in that moment yeah, yeah
0: more so okay. so uh so but and, and maybe in a, a sense though it felt weird to do a cut from both scenes the same way uh yeah. so maybe that's why like it's, it's treated differently uh yeah. earlier on but
1: yeah but we've have our ratings we've agreed on that now can we agree on does this movie make the cut obviously it makes the cut are you mad oh uh, yeah no clearly <laughs> but the question is where in the cut does it land
0: well, it's either making the cut or it's a cut above. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an interesting one to ask that question of, because inherently by what it is, it is lesser than obviously some of the other big Nolan films and how important they are right. as a whole. Um, But in terms of like quality and how much I like it, I mean, I could maybe argue it's a little bit of a cut above, but... Yeah, I'd I'd
1: say it's like dancing on the line, but I still think that in terms of must you watch this, there's a reason that it's the one that's always kind of left out. Like, nobody goes back to this film when they go back to Nolan. They start with memento, usually. So if I had to make the argument, I would say that it's super close to cut above, but it's just not quite there.
0: I mean, general people being wrong and not watching what they should is not something I would consider for my decision True. making but i will agree that it maybe just doesn't quite get into that cut above territory just for context reasons and just feeling more than anything else mm-hmm. but it, yeah obviously it's a very high recommendation it's uh oh, a great little film and uh yeah should check it out if you have not already mm-hmm. that is following by christopher nolan exciting to kick off uh nolan season and you know we have suffered through fast and the fury season this year <laughs> we have suffered through uh what else did we do that was miserable
1: video game movies video
0: game movies uh and even half indiana jones season wasn't yeah. that hot either like you know that, that was very up and down uh mm. i am delighted to be doing Nolan season other than one of his films that i don't like that much and okay. that might be a an interesting conversation when we get to it Um,
1: i think i know the one you're talking about and that's one i haven't seen so okay well we'll see
0: but you know but by and large i like nolan a lot he is i think one of the the best directors currently working he always feels like he's trying to do something different and be inventive and i think uh you know not always is successful but i think he's got enough under his belt that uh you know i am always i'm always excited to see the new christopher nolan film uh, oh, yeah. which we'll get to so uh, next week of course we'll be looking at Memento because that's next uh, the week after that we'll be looking at Oppenheimer because that's just where it happens to land um, yep. on the schedule uh, there'll be two weeks away from Christopher Nolan at that point and then we'll have three more Nolan films after that uh, those being Prestige, Insomnia and Dunkirk not necessarily in that order so right. uh, So yeah that is the, the plans uh, for Nolan over the next month and a half well it's probably two months once we consider those two weeks off so. yeah pretty much yeah so it's uh three nolan two animated ninja turtles <laughs> and three more nolan we didn't want to stay too serious for too long there <laughs> it's just it's just because of where uh, the turtles movie was coming out so close after oppenheimer we had to work the schedule yeah. to incorporate both somehow so yeah Lies, well, what you think of falling if you have seen it and by all means please do go and watch it if you can and uh, we will see you guys next time. But uh, of course, you can support all the content over at patreoncom TV. Of course, every month there's a few extra episodes to check out. There's the bonus episode, uh, which is at the lowest tier and up. And uh, we we do uh, usually something loosely tied to to the the theme of the current show. You know, so for example, we did the Phantom for for Indiana Jones uh you know video game season we did another video game movies the bonus episode it was a bit harder with nolan so we just yeah. had a world war ii movie we did the monuments Men, uh which there was a vote to see which movie we would do but that was the one that won so uh there's a bonus movie every month i think that was the ninth bonus episode uh i believe so, so yeah
1: we've got a good little backlog there
0: yeah and then the second bonus every month the five dollar tearing up is the uh, extra reel show where we do a so bad it's hopefully good movie uh, and that's where we might do a Neil Green film or we might do uh, a Miami connection or other yep. fancy stuff like that. So check out that too. So yeah, some bonuses if you go and support us on Patreon. There's bonuses for the other shows as well. Uh, there's a whole back catalog of Ace bonus episodes and Screams bonus episodes if you're interested. Um, and also um, we have a monthly show called Collector's Cut the Collection, which is not a Patreon bonus. Uh, that is a show that goes out every month uh, where we do Criterion movies. It was almost th- weird doing this one and not uh, treating it like a Criterion episode, but...
1: That's why I'm only half dressed up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, make sure you check out that too. So, anyway, that all that said, we're done. <laughs> Thank you very yes. much. Like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications. We always appreciate it. Keep watching uh, movies, and... <sighs> yeah. This is what your place looks like, right? Like, the main area? With the typewriter and the
1: I mean, yeah, I've, I've got more pin-ups than this guy, but... Yeah. Just a sort of
0: pathetic existence. Yeah. We can cut the episode whenever.